Good afternoon, my AOWs. I'm so excited to be hanging out with you today for the next half an hour or so. I have to admit that, as you probably know, I did not upload a podcast last week, and I'm so sorry. You can imagine I'm working on some very exciting stuff behind the scenes, and I can't wait to share all of that with you coming up really soon. In today's podcast episode, I wanted to talk about what to do if your hormone therapy isn't working. So what to do if your hormone therapy isn't working? This is a question that I get a lot, and it's a reason patients come to see me or travel to see me, is that they'll say, I have tried so many different things, hormone therapy doesn't work for me, and I feel really stuck, and I'm not sure what to do. Dr. Hirsch, can you get me out of this? So I wanted to kind of touch on three important things to think about if your hormone therapy isn't working right. So without further ado, let's jump right in. Welcome to Health by Heather Hirsch, a podcast dedicated to uncovering many of the women's health issues many of us are wondering about, but few of us are talking about. My mission is to expose the current gaps in knowledge and care on all things women's health. Enjoy. Today's podcast is sponsored by Sweet Spot Labs. Intimate dryness is one of the things I get asked about most in my practice. What I like to remind patients is that estrogen is to the vulva what collagen is to the face. As estrogen decreases, so does the moisture in your intimate skin, which can lead to drier, thinner vulvar skin that can commonly become more sensitive, itchy, and susceptible to contact dermatitis. There aren't many solutions out there that are safe, effective, and have a texture that's pleasurable to use. And that's why I absolutely love Rescue Balm from Sweet Spot Labs. It literally rescues intimate skin without compromise. It's a 100% naturally derived multi-purpose balm that moisturizes, soothes, and protects your most intimate and sensitive skin from dryness, itch, and irritation thanks to its triple moisturizing complex. Just as important as what's in it is what's not in it. Like all Sweet Spot Lab products, Rescue Balm is consciously clean and clinically proven to elicit zero size of gynecological or dermal irritation on intimate skin. And because it's estrogen free, it can be used in adjunct to hormone therapy. Visit sweetspotlabs.com and use code Dr. Hirsch at checkout for 20% off your first order. That's sweetspotlabs.com, S-W-E-E-T-S-P-O-T-L-A-B-S.com and code Dr. Hirsch for 20% off. So as I'm recording this, I actually just got off giving a presentation uh, in called Intensive Review of Internal Medicine, which is a class reserved for internists who are uh, coming up on retaking their boards, which I will have to do in a year or two myself. And I was just teaching on menopause management. Uh, and it was so much fun. I'm so lucky that I get the uh, the ability, the honor to do so. So I hope that uh, if you are listening to this, you know that I am doing my best to continue to educate uh, clinicians around the country, around the globe, about all things menopause and specifically hormone therapy related. Because truly, as I was telling the listeners of my lesson today, that's where I think that as clinicians, uh, we receive the least amount of training and it is the biggest reason why we feel unprepared to handle difficult conversations about hormone therapy or we may have some biases about uh, prescribing hormone therapy. So I hope that that resonated with a lot of those doctors. 
All right. So in today's episode, we're talking about what to do if your hormone therapy isn't working. And certainly it's hard to individualize this via a via podcast, but I'm going to do my best to break this down into three different classifications. One is the dose, two is the route, and three is the formulation. So dose, route, formulation. Those are the three things I think about as a clinician when a patient travels to see me and finds that their hormone therapy is just not working for them. So there's a couple of things that I do. First, I actually like to, you know, get the patient in as my patient, review their history, their medical history, because that can actually uh, signify to me certain routes or certain formulas that may or may not work better. But without going deep into that, one thing that I like to do when a patient says her hormone therapy isn't working is simply check an estradiol level an estradiol level. That's all that I need. I don't need your FSH, your this or that. I really just need your estradiol level. When I say hormone therapy in this show, I am referring primarily to uh, the use of estrogen progesterone. We're going to sort of, you know, discuss testosterone separately. So I'm really talking about estrogen progesterone. So I want to check your estradiol level. So goal hormone therapy on women, uh, goal levels of hormones, goal levels of estrogen on women, uh, taking hormone therapy should be between 40 and 70. If you're a little bit younger, if you had premature menopause, uh, early menopause or surgical menopause before age 45, it can go a little bit higher up into, you know, the 100. So those are sort of the goal levels of estrogen. And also I want to see, is it controlling your symptoms? I say to my patients, your, your hormone therapy is working when it's controlling your symptoms about 75% to 80% of your baseline where you were without or before your hormone therapy. So I really use those indicators to gauge if she is actually getting the benefited treatment from it. So I use both of those. Now, clinical history is actually a little bit more important to me than your estradiol level, but sometimes it's interesting to use that in conjunction. So what are the three things? Dose, route, formulation. So let's start with dose. All right, this one's easy. Oftentimes the dose is too low. Oftentimes the dose is too low. I actually had a patient more recently for whom I thought the dose was actually a little bit too high. Um, she was weepy and tearful and wasn't feeling so good. And actually I reduced her lows, dose, but more commonly I find that the dose is too low. So there's this mantra in menopause management and it's the lowest effective dose. And it's the lowest dose, the lowest dose, the lowest dose. And of course, of course, that makes sense. That's pretty obvious. You want to use the lowest dose that works, but the lowest dose that actually works, not the lowest dose that kind of works. And I find that lots of clinicians may be more hesitant to increase the dose. And the reason is, is there exists this fear that higher dose means higher risk. And now let's break that down. It, it's not necessarily true. There's certainly, yes, the lowest effective dose, but it has to do with the way that medicine is actually metabolized. So let's use, you know, two friends as an example. So Jessica's taking oral estradiol, one milligram, and uh, she says, I feel 70, 80% better. And I check her estrogen level and it's 42. Perfect. Do I need to increase it? Because there's wiggle room? Nope. She feels 70, 80% better. She's on her one milligram great. Now let's take Nancy. Let's say she's on one milligram oral estradiol. She says, I feel terrible. It's not working. I'm still having hot flashes. And I check her estrogen level and it's 20. They're both on the same dose. So I might increase Nancy to two milligrams. Let's say I do that. And she comes back to see me and her level is 56. Well, if I look at an estradiol of 42 to 56, am I 
absolutely increasing risk? No, I'm really, really not. I'm maximizing the fact that she wants to take estradiol and she's on the right level. So it's the lowest dose that works, not the lowest dose that kind of works. So more common than not, women are put on too low of a dose. This is most obviously seen in women who have premature menopause, that's menopause before age 40, or early menopause, that's menopause before age 45. Now, this is a fun, interesting tidbit that you can you know, tell your friends at cocktail parties. A lot of people say HRT, HRT, HRT. HRT is hormone replacement therapy, and HRT is physiologically replacing those levels in women who are 45 and under. So HT is for women who go through natural menopause. And the reason that's important is because the HRT means we want to actually give you a physiologic level or closer to a physiologic level of estrogen that you would be getting or receiving or seeing, let's say at age 40, if you hadn't gone through menopause. So appropriate levels for younger women are often up in the 100s to 120s. So let's do a different example. Let's say uh, Jessica is now 39 and has uh, early surgical menopause, and she's put on Divigel 0.25. That's the lowest dose. Um, actually, no, let's say she's on Divigel 0.5. That's pretty much the median dose. And she comes back to see me. Her level is 60, and she says, I feel great. Okay, do I need to increase it to 100? No, she feels great. Her level is pretty good. And let's say Nancy, now she's 39, and she's had early uh, premature menopause, and she's on the 0.05 of Divigel, and she says, I feel horrible, I feel terrible, I check her level as 52. That's not probably enough for her. So I'm gonna double that dose to one milligram. So she comes back to see me, and she says, now I feel really good, and her level's 110. Is that too high? Nope, that's great. She feels good, she's 39, she can have that level of estradiol. So again, if you can see in those examples, I'm using clinical history. What you tell me, are you 70 to 80% better than when you are on nothing? And two, is your estradiol in the right range? So more commonly than not, women are put on too low of a dose. So in that scenario where we're talking especially about early menopause, the patient Jessica, um, she just happened to do well on 0.5. That just has to do with her metabolism. Maybe she metabolizes it slower. Maybe she has, um, it gets broken down into some other byproducts that her body feels that estrogen level and maybe in Nancy she doesn't. There's lots of individualized um, proteins, reactions, et cetera, that we don't know, which is why one dose of hormones isn't always going to work for all women. That's why they make so many different doses of hormone therapy. You know, too often I see women who are put on this, you know, 0.025 weekly patch, you know, and they're suffering with all these terrible hot flashes. They're 20% better and their doctor keeps them there. You know, and they come to me and say, what is wrong with, why doesn't this work? Your dose is too low. So that is the most common reason that the dose is too low. Now, again, every once in a while, I'll see someone who I actually think the dose is too high. I had a patient who was on, I think 0.05 of the twice weekly patch doesn't so much matter, but she said, I just feel so weepy. I just don't feel like myself. And I said, oh, okay. Are you having any breast tenderness? And she said, yeah, I am. And I thought, hmm. Um, and so I actually reduced her to the 0.375 and she actually felt much better optimized. That happens less commonly actually reducing the dose, but that also can happen. So number one is dose. All right. Oh, taking a deep breath. <laughs> I talk fast during these shows. All right. Number two is route. So there's two main routes. There's oral and there's transdermal. Now, oral's obvious. You're taking a pill orally. 
And transdermal, there's a couple ways you can do it. Transdermal, there's sprays, there's gels, there's the patch. There's even the ring, like the fem ring. And the fem ring is, um, it works by absorbing through the mucosa. So we put that up in the vagina, tucked behind the cervix or the vaginal cuff if you've had a hysterectomy, and that's how it absorbs. So there's a couple different ways to use transdermal estrogen, and that's important to keep in mind. So this is sort of interesting is that, you know, in the mid 2000s, let's say like 2007 to 2013, somewhere in there, a study came out, the Esther study showing that the transdermal estrogen reduced the risk of blood clots more than oral. Now, the risk of blood clot on oral is actually very low, uh, about one in a thousand, which is actually less than the risk of blood clot being on birth control pills, having a pregnancy, elective surgery. But when that data came out, uh, again, because that was still shortly after the early 2000s when the WHI came out, you could check out my last show I did on the 20th anniversary of the WHI. But there was just, you know, this tendency to want to do the safest possible thing, the lowest possible safest thing, which would be transdermal. So you'll see a lot of people recommending transdermal. I feel as though in Europe, it's like transdermal, 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 transdermal. All I hear is transdermal. And listen, transdermal is great. I prescribe transdermal every single day, but look, it doesn't work for everyone. Not everyone prefers transdermal. In fact, um, if you listen to my subscriber only show, I did an episode on what I would do and I would probably use oral and that's just preference. I just don't want something on my skin. And look, if you've been on birth control pills and had no history of blood clot, had a baby or two, had an elective surgery and did fine, I bet you will do fine on oral hormone therapy so long as you don't have any contraindications that would prevent you from the use of oral, which mostly is going to fall in having any cardiovascular risk factor, uncontrolled hypertension, diabetes, dyslipidemia. So there are some things for which I'll say you 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 don't get the choice. You, you get transdermal and there's choices within that. But for, for many women actually who are quite healthy, they can choose one or the other. So the route could be the reason that you're not absorbing your hormone therapy. I had a patient once who was using the patch um, and uh, she said, it, it's just not working. It is not, I, I don't feel good. She didn't say it's not working, but that was what I was hearing. She was saying, I'm having hot flashes, night sweats, vaginal dryness. She was on the 0.75 patch, which is, you know, um, a little bit more than the middle dose, which is the point. I checked her estrogen level and it was like 32. I said, that's weird. You know, that's, that's still too low. So we could increase it to the one. Is that what she needs? Does she need an increase in dose? But I thought, you know, maybe it's something with the route. And, and she, yeah, I said, what do you think about oral? And she said, oh, you know, what about this first pass? I said, listen, that all sounds great in theory, but really it's just a lot of, um, nice sounding words, but you know, did you take oral birth control pills? And she said, yeah, I did fine. I said, okay, well, let's try oral. I put on one milligram of oral. Now, um, you might have this question here of like, how do you, how do you change from patch to, to oral? Are they exactly the same? No, they're not exactly the same. But so I switched her to oral one milligram, which is probably like 0.5 of the patch. If I had to kind of make an equivalence here and she felt amazing and it came back and her level was 40. So it's not that it went that high from 32 to 40, but it was just that difference in route. But clinically she felt so much better. She was sleeping. She wasn't flashing. She was enjoying sex again. It made such a difference changing the route. 
I had another patient who was on the patch and we changed her. Uh, she couldn't use oral. So I changed her to Divigel. Now the difference here is that Divigel is a daily gel application. You rub it into your leg and the patch is this little sticker that sticks on your skin. And that made, was magic for her. That really made a difference. So she comes back and said, why? I said, well, they're both estradiol. The formula is the same. I changed her from the 0.05 patch to the 0.5 of Divigel. But it must be something about either you're not absorbing the medication via via the patch. It's too, uh, you know, it, it's slowly absorbing over three and a half days versus, you know, every 24 hours. Um, for whatever reason, maybe, you know, also too, where you wear the patch, mostly the truncal area, maybe that's not where you have the best receptors to pick up that medication. So the route can be changed. And one more example is I had a patient who tried the patch and tried the gel. Nothing was working. Her estrogen level kept staying around 30. And then we used the femring. So again, the femring is uh, kind of like the Nuva ring or any other kind of ring. You, you put it in this behind the cervix. And we used a low dose of that. And that was a miracle for her. On further inspection, actually, she wasn't so good at the daily application she would forget. And, you know, it's hard to tell your doctor that on first, first, you know, I, I get it. And also on further inspection, when she wore the patch, it would kind of peel off and wrinkle. And every once in a while, she would forget to change it. So a little of that is lifestyle, but that route, that change in route made all the difference in the world. And that patch and the gel and the ring were all low dose, but the, the ring made the difference. So the second thing is the route. All right. Lastly is formulation. Now, this one is a little nuanced because estradiol comes in two main formulations. There's conjugated equine estrogen. That's the kind that comes from horses or CEE for short. And then there's estradiol. Estradiol is your bioidentical. And if you have been listening to my show for a while or you watch me on any of my platforms, I don't love that word. It's so misleading because it doesn't mean that I you know, went to a forest and chopped up enough yams and that's where it comes from. No, it also goes to a lab. Doesn't matter if it's compounded. It doesn't matter if it comes from Walgreens. It all goes to a lab and gets made, but estradiol is the other main formulation for hormone therapy. And then progestins have a lot of different formulations. There's um, your sort of lab-made progesterones like medoxyprogesterone acetate, MPA, that was used in the WHI. Go check out last two weeks ago's podcast. And then there's more natural or bioidentical progesterones, Prometrium or Micronized Natural Progesterone. Um, and again, same idea here. Still has to be made in a lab, but is made from more natural components. And then there's those that kind of lie in the middle, norethindrone, agestin, which is norethindrone, levonorgestrel, et cetera, et cetera. And sometimes changing the formulation can make the difference. Now, this is really nuanced, and this is, I, I would say, where a clinician should help you. I don't want you Googling all these different formulations. But for example, let's just use progestins for an example. Um, Angelique is a combined oral estradiol progesterone, and the progesterone is drosperinone. And uh, that's kind of one of those in the middle progestins. And drosperinone is what's in Yaz. So I had a patient who did wonderful on Yaz birth control and I put her on Mimbi or maybe she came in on it. Mimbi is the brand version of estradiol and norethindrone. Something about it didn't work. We changed the dose. We tried, you know, she didn't even want the patch. She didn't want transdermal. She just didn't like the idea of something on her skin. 
So um, I, I went back through our history and kind of, you know, that's when I really sat down and said, what birth control exactly did you use? And really thought about the formulation. And she said, yeah, I loved Yaz. I did great on it. And I said, oh, why don't we do Angelique now? That's not as easily covered by insurance. And so we had to do a whole prior authorization. And, da, 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 and she even had to pay for it out of pocket at first, but that did the trick. So changing the formulation of the progestin made all the difference. Another example of this is, say, switching from Prempro to, let's say, uh, Bijuva. Bijuva is a combination of estradiol, one milligram, Prometrium, 100 milligrams. This is something I prescribe often. It's often actually easier to prescribe them separately just because it's better covered. So I prescribed, uh, she was on Prempro. Prempro is what was studying the WHI. Remember, not a bad medication. If I was stuck on a deserted island and all that was there was Prempro, I would happily take Prempro. So I switched her from Prempro, conjugated equine estrogen, medoxyprogesterone acetate, to estradiol prometrium, and bam, that did the trick. So then it begs the question, inquiring minds, was it the estradiol? Was it the progesterone? Ah, who knows? We won't really know. But I changed both the estrogen and progestin formulation and that worked. There are lots of other examples of these. A combi patch has norethindrone. So sometimes I'll do an estradiol patch, an oral progesterone prometrium, and that does the trick. Or sometimes I'll even use an intrauterine device if all formulations of progesterone bothers my patient, which actually happens more often than not. And I think I've done a YouTube video on why IUDs are great in perimenopause and into menopause. I haven't yet done a podcast on that, but that should be up and coming. So if you haven't already checked out my YouTube channel, it's Health by Heather Hirsch, and the IUD has levonorgestrel, and it doesn't go systemically. And that's why oftentimes if a woman has kind of failed all different formulations and doses of progestins, then an IUD ultimately can be a really good option. So ah, ladies, there you have it. Sometimes I sit down, I don't know if you know, but I sit down and do these podcasts completely unscripted, no notes in front of me. Um, and it's incredible what I can, you know, purge in uh, 20 minutes. But this is a really important episode, um, not just for you as a laywoman, but also for my clinicians. I know many of you are clinicians and listen to the show. Um, and if you're a laywoman and your hormone therapy isn't working, I bet there's a solution for you. Even though it doesn't seem like there's a lot of options, the way you could tinker and change dose and route and formulation between the estrogen and progesterone actually makes for a lot of different options. I usually see my patients every three months until we really get them about that 70 to 80% improved with a good estradiol level. And you want to think about dose, oftentimes too low, very rarely too high, but I see that. You want to think about route, oral versus the transdermal options, and then lastly, formulation. I hope you guys love this show. If you do, please subscribe. Please consider also subscribing to my subscriber-only shows. I should have new episodes every month. I am doing one right after I get off this. Um, I've been a little slow to upload those. And again, um, just so much details in uh, the behind the scenes of what's going on with me that I'll be sharing there. And that just helps to support me to do the podcast and share all my knowledge with you guys. Please leave a review or a star if you love the show. Um, I'm really excited. Also, NAMS, the North American Menopause Society annual meeting is coming up in October in Atlanta. I hope to see a lot of you who are clinicians um, or just, you know, menopause um, uh, product line and you listen to the show, just come up to me and say hi. It's always so much fun. Follow me on all my social media. I'm Heather Hirsch, MD. And thank you guys for being a loyal, awesome, loving listener. See you guys next week. Bye. 
If I haven't already done so, thank you. Thank you from the bottom of my heart for listening to my show. Consider subscribing so you never miss an episode. Also, if you love the show, your stars or a quick review could really help other women who are searching for information on menopause and midlife around the globe find this show. If you want to work with me, consider the Reclaiming Menopause Masterclass. The link for that is in the description to this show. Thank you again from the bottom of my heart for all your support, and I'll see you next week for a brand new episode. Good.